This week's episode is brought to you by FOCO USA. FOCO is the official face covering of the Iowa Hawkeyes, and if you've been watching Iowa football at all this year, you've seen the new Hawkeye face coverings and neck gaiters that the players and coaches have been wearing, and FOCO was even nice enough to send some out to myself and Thad, and they look great, and they're definitely the most high-quality face mask that I've had since this whole thing started, and if you wanted to grab one for yourself, feel free to head over to FOCO.com and even tell them that the All Eyes crew sent you. What's up, all of you beautiful people, and welcome back to the All Eyes podcast. And once again, we are back talking about another Iowa blowout winner. And who would have thought that would be, we'd be saying that after a game with Wisconsin in any year? And, you know, the Hawks made this thing look really easy. They dominated up front the defensive line, holding Wisconsin to 56 yards on 33 carries. The passing game did what it was supposed to do. Um, first few deep balls were like, connected this year. Um, from Spencer Petrus, and that got everybody excited other than the, the back flip or the front flip by Amir into the end zone. You know, Keith Duncan hit a couple field goals. Torrey Taylor was reinventing the punting game, you know, bringing Australian football rules to uh, college football. So, you know, before we get into the recapping and our thoughts of uh, the Iowa-Wisconsin game, the all-Big Ten team list did come out today, and Iowa has – quite a few names on there which I don't think is unexpected but maybe some discrepancies on where we'd place guys or which guys we think got snubbed potentially so I guess we'll start on the offensive side of the ball because that's what I'm looking at here first and the first team um, we have Tyler Goodson and Alaric Jackson on the second team there's Tyler Linderbaum which we'll probably get into and Cole Banwart. And then we have some honorable mentions, which is almost the entire rest of the offense. We have Makai Sargent, Amir Smith-Marset, Cody Ince, Kyler Schott, Sam Laporta, Sean Beyer, Mark Kallenberger, and even Spencer Petrus, according to the conference media, voting was an honorable mention. So, you know, what names are standing out to you um, there? And were any guys, you know, that got, that got snubbed from a spot or should have been higher or should have been lower? I was just really excited. Um, the one that stood out and jumped out was Tyler Goodson getting first team. And I think it was really well-deserved. He's had a great year. Um, he and Makai have had such a great balance between them. But it's just not his running um, and what he brings to the Iowa running game, but it's his ability out of the backfield as well. Uh, against Wisconsin, we saw, again, uh, a screen pass, get him into a field goal position. and But just every week he's – churning out yards and he's going to break one or two. He's going to make one or two guys miss. And he's been a workhorse. You know, he's been the main guy. He's got almost double the carrier, double the carries that Sargent has. And both of them has, have been great, but with this Iowa offense and what he's done, and we saw uh, picking up first downs out of the wildcat and just what he's meant to this team as uh, a playmaker. It was just great to see him rewarded or at least, um, maybe noticed for that across the league. Uh, so that one's the first one that really stood out to me. And obviously, you know, we could talk about Linderbaum and the, the joke of that. And that was on the, I think the coaches or was that the yeah, media one? That was the coaches one. Yeah. And what I'd say for that is uh, I, I can tell you that there are coaches that if let's say you're, you're an East team and you don't have Iowa on your schedule, you don't, they're not watching any of Iowa. So they don't know. So the coaches, you could say, yeah, well, you know, coaches know the game. Yeah, they do. But if they're not watching you, you know, they'll just, okay, this, the guy for Ohio state, my, I'm sure he played well, but <laughs> if you're not paying attention, you know, and you're not watching what Tyler Linderbaum is doing every week and just being an absolute force and a catalyst to this rejuvenated run game that, yeah, I don't know what you're doing if you're putting him anything other than first team. Um, so that one, but that's when you almost just laugh off. It was so comical that you really just sort of yeah. laugh it off. Uh, other than that, I was really excited for uh, 
Cole Banwart to get on second team. He's a guy that I've been uh, mentioning all year and even from the preseason. And it was great to see that recognition, somebody who's battled injuries uh, and to have his uh, fifth year come out the way and play the way he did and to be recognized was another really cool thing. Yeah, and I'm going to piggyback off your previous point of, you know, just because it's the coaches poll. And, yeah, the coaches are intelligent guys who know a football game better than we do from an X's and O's standpoint and from a game planning and game prep standpoint. But they're not necessarily watching every single player that's in the Big Ten Conference or any conference for that matter. They're just paying attention week by week on who's on their schedule. Sure, they do some, like, preseason looks and preseason analysis just to prep for them on their upcoming schedule. But, you know, it's not like they're watching in depth. Tyler Linderbaum, for the most part. Um, And I also think that, you know, this also comes down to a point of, you know, like every single year, the NFL does the player rankings, NFL top 100. And I say the same thing. You think that every single player in the NFL is watching every single player that has no correlation to their position? Probably not. It's going to be a lot of, you know, name recognition and media hype. And then just saying, well, yeah, I mean, look at the stats. He's playing pretty well. And I will say, I'm going to even branch off from this further. I don't think Alaric Jackson probably should have made the first team. Um, I don't think that his play was that high. I don't know, but also I'm going to admit, I don't know how left tackle play in the Big Ten was this year as a whole, but him being the best left tackle in the Big Ten this year kind of stands out as that, that's, that would be questionable to me if I was just evaluating it objectively. And Tyler Linderbaum being on the second team is just a wild miss. I mean, there's nobody that I've watched in college football at all in the past, you know, four or five years who does some of the things that Tyler Linderbaum does on a snap-for-snap basis and based on what he's asked to do. And he's taken such a massive jump from when he was even great last year. So I think that's a total snub. I don't know how – that ended up happening. But yeah, like you also said about Cole Banwart, I thought that that one was one I did. I thought he was going to get snubbed. I thought he was going to be one of the guys that kind of was the honorable mention category, but even though he's obviously a guy who is a second team guy and a guy or even potential first team, when you look at it all around, he's going to be a guy that plays in the NFL. He's great athleticism. He's great leverage. He was really in control of the run game this year for Iowa. And I'm glad that he ended up in the second team. And then Tyler Goodson, that's just a fun one because every single time Iowa needed a spark this year, it really was him on offense doing it. I mean, the passing game really didn't create a whole lot of energy and and big plays other than the Wisconsin game. And it was really always the running game that was kind of uplifting this offense. And this offense performed well this year. So I think that that's well-deserved. And it's really cool seeing a running back for Iowa on the first team. Yeah, the first ones, uh, first all-conference running backs in Sean Green, you know, brings out back some great memories on that one, and in the honorable mention to have five offensive linemen, whether on first team or might have even been six, just so many guys got named, and I think that's a credit to just how good this offensive line was this year in the play. I mean, three different guys started at right tackle, and. Really, yeah, maybe there was some inconsistencies. Certain guys were better than the other. But for for the most part, there weren't big, colossal errors. And Iowa saw some great players when you look at those all-conference teams. I mean, Penn State's two defensive ends were on there. There were uh, linebackers, you know, from a lot of the teams they faced, the guys that were coming on blitzes. And we didn't see any of those mistakes that plagued last season where there were just massive holes for defensive rushers to come through. And there was none of that. So the offensive line played fantastic. And we'll get to it later with the Wisconsin game, but it was just a staple of, of how it was all year. Spencer Petras had a nice pocket. He had operational room. The run game, guys were getting to the second level. And there were places to go, and they were able to manufacture plays because of it. So seeing all those guys their name at least on there saying, hey, we recognize the level of play that you've had. And uh, it was also announced that the Iowa offensive line is now a semifinalist for the Joe Moore Award. And just another thing that that group uh, can can march forward to and show, look, 
the progress they've made has just been spectacular. I mean, honestly, we've, and especially us on this podcast since week one, we've been highlighting this offensive line as being an upgrade from last year's offensive line and being one of the better offensive lines I was had in a long time. And, you know, we lost Tristan Wirfs and there was a lot of instability or, or not instability, but just a lot of question marks on who's going to slot where. And then what happens after two games, Kyler shot gets hurt. Koi Kronk gets hurt. You know, Mark Kallenberger's getting hurt. And what happens? The offensive line continues to play well. And yeah, you, you said it. Six guys on either the first team, second team, or honorable mentions list for all Big Ten on an offensive line. That's five players. That's insane to even think about. But it's so true. And honestly, even Sean Byer was on there as an honorable mention. And a lot of that probably has to do with his ability and just run blocking. Because, I mean, other than the past, you know, three or four weeks, he hasn't really been that much of a receiving threat for Iowa. So I imagine that's probably a big reason why he's even on the list. And I'm also, you know, you could probably make the argument that, you know, if Kyler shot starts or doesn't get hurt and he's starting every single game, he probably is going to be right there with Cole Banwart or it's going to be, you know, a toss up there. And Cody Entz isn't really far that behind from those two either. So, I mean, really you have to tip your cap to this offensive line and the way they played this year, because, they were the true like identity of Iowa's football team for sure. They set the tempo for this offense for sure. And it you know starts with the center and the play of Tyler Linderbaum and how good he was and their ability to pick up different schemes and to protect the quarterback and open lanes for the running backs. And you know third down and short conversion this year. Uh, now that the the season or the regular season's officially concluded, you know, one of the things I want to do is go back and take a look at all of the, the third and shorts and, you know, how they did. And when they ran the ball, they were effective and it didn't have to be a quarterback sneak. And one of the plays uh, we saw this week was they, you know, the fake to the fullback pitch out to Tyler Goodson. You can run that when there is the defense has to commit everybody to the interior because they have been so effective. Whereas years past, you could just do a standard defensive alignment package there and not worry about anything else. So it's things like that. This offensive line opened up opportunities for this offense. Uh, I saw a statistic that it's the first time, I think it was in Iowa's full history of every conference game scoring, scoring at least 20 points. <laughs> and that, I mean, you, you go back that far and yeah, offenses change and, and things like that. But to have that consistency and to go against, you know, Northwestern's defense was great. Wisconsin's defense is a really good defense. Maybe they don't have some of the standouts they've had in the past. And we mentioned that last week, but that's still a high performing defense. So to have that and to be able to, to score the way they did, uh, it was just a lot of fun to watch the progress in this offense. And then the last six quarters of Spencer Petrus were by far his best yeah, yeah. I honestly, I'm right there with you because now I feel like the fan base is kind of turning into this optimism direction with Spencer Petrus, which is really awesome to see because anytime there's been sort of a QB controversy that goes last the entire year, it always feels like at the end of the year, that's where it really hits its bottom point and fans are just fed up. Now it just kind of feels like, you know, if this is Spencer Petrus and who he is, and maybe, you know, we could stand for more improvement. But this is really a positive and really optimistic outlook because he's putting everything together. And then you have to start, you know, re going back to the excuses people were making when he was struggling. You know, this is the COVID year, no off season, no spring training, no, no summer camps and everything is, you know, discombobulated. The season starts late. You know, there's no um, tune up and in, in non-conference schedule. You're going right into big 10 play that all looks kind of legitimate when you see him putting it all together and looking really, really good because he looks completely different in these past two weeks compared to weeks one, week, weeks two, and weeks three. So, yeah, it's just really encouraging to see that. And I, I don't even think there might even be a, a QB kind of open QB battle in, in the offseason because he's looking like he's really stealing this job right now. Yeah, all of that noise from a couple weeks ago totally disappeared over these last two weeks. And, 
you know, he had, he had his struggles and he had, he had one really poor decision when uh, Iowa wanted on a third and short to take a deep shot and it wasn't there. Although if he would have just waited, uh, I think it was Nico Regani's defender fell down. Now I think there might've been um, a safety or somebody else there to maybe get there, but he kind of panicked threw the ball out of bounds. I think just trying to save, you know, I think they were planning on probably going for it. When you look at that play call on a third and one that you're looking to make a deep shot, I'm positive that they were planning on going for it because after he throws it out of bounds, he's kind of looking to the sideline like, all right, what's our fourth down play going to be? Uh, and then all of a sudden it's intentional grounding and now you don't get that opportunity. But his mistakes, you know, there weren't other mistakes. And the other thing I'm going to give him a lot of credit for is he took care of the ball in the pocket uh, when there was pressure to avoid fumbles. And for a young quarterback, that's a big thing to have that, you know, discipline of keeping two hands on the ball, understanding when somebody's around you to get it wrapped up. And, you know, if you have to eat the sack, eat the sack. So that's another thing that it does, you know, it's one of those things that goes unnoticed until it happens. You know, ball security is not a, is not a noticeable thing until all of a sudden you're fumbling. You know, discipline and not getting penalties is not noticeable until you have a game like Purdue when you have a ton of penalties. So that's another little thing that um, was great to see over a full eight game window that he took care of the ball in that way. And really five interceptions through eight games and three of them were in one half against Northwestern and really two of them, one, one, probably two were kind of late game. Like, Hey, look, we're chucking it. We've got to make something happen. Yeah, and honestly, you talk about his progression, you know, from those weeks one and week two games. And you also said it, like, nobody, everybody knows, he's gonna, everybody's going to notice, like, the turnovers and the bad throws and the errant throws and the overthrows. But nobody ever really breaks down how you get there. And I know it's kind of annoying to talk about how a QB's processing things and just, like, the mental side of, you know, pre-snap awareness and then post-snap just diagnosing a play. But – this year, Spencer Peters, get this. I mean, first year as a starter, eight games in, and by week three, he was already making full field reads a good 10% of the time in a game, which is – you can't really compare that to any college player in their first year other than Iowa system and maybe some of these more complex systems like Alabama or you know USC or things like that. But he was really processing things the right way and holding off on a lot of throws that a lot of amateur or lesser experienced quarterbacks would normally make and get intercepted on, you know, the throws that he got picked on and he had some turnovers this year, obviously, but a lot of them were the right throw or the right decision to throw it or the right guy to target, but just not the right type of throw. I mean, obviously the heaters, you know, getting up over the middle and getting end up being a tip drill resulted in probably about four interceptions this year on his resume. And then obviously you had a couple panic throws where honestly on those panic throws, he would go through his full field of progressions and just nobody was open. And then out of structure, he just kind of panicked. Those are things that once you get more playing time and you start really seeing defenses and the game starts to slow down for you, ideally and in theory, that's going to happen a lot less. And, you know, if he can compile that by, you know, just making those subtle adjustments and, come you know adding that on to the way he already processes plays you're looking at a guy with his physical uh, skill set could really be a great Iowa quarterback that that 53 yard touchdown pass to Amir Smith Marset was perfect in every way got his deep drop there was pressure from his blind side not really pressure but an outside rush and Alaric Jackson does a great job of pushing it deeper and he shuffles two steps up in the pocket and just lets it fly, puts air under it, throws it to the open field, hits Amir right in stride. I mean, everything about that play was exactly how you draw it up. From the quick drop to seeing the guy to feeling that backside pressure or seeing that rush, stepping up into the open area of the pocket and then putting air under it to the open part of the field where his guy who has the defender beat can just run under it. I mean that's the sort of play that when it gets done, you're like, all right, I see it. Like that's the high level play that, that we were hoping for. And the type of progression that you just wanted to see, like something like that for a first year player, if you see it once or twice, like that's all you need to say, all right, th 
those things are winning plays. Those are things that will carry over. And now all of a sudden, hopefully you have a couple of weeks until uh, I will play a bowl game and you can keep developing that. But that bodes so well for the future for him. Yeah, I'm honestly, we could talk for hours about this offense because it next year is going to be even more fun. You know, there's still games to be played or a game, I guess, to be played this year, hopefully. So, you know, maybe in future weeks, we're probably going to do extensive looks at, you know, each unit and, and player positions and things like that. But let's transition over to the defensive side of the ball for the all big 10 team. And on the first team, obviously you have a couple guys who I don't think anybody's surprised by Chauncey Golston and Davion Nixon. And then on the second team, this might be a surprising name for some, even though his stat line is just padded. Um, Zach Van Valkenburg is only the lone guy for Iowa on the second team. And I mean, the stat line speaks for itself, I guess, because he made a lot of big plays this year for Iowa's defense. And then on the third team, uh, there was Nick Neiman and Jack Kerner, which I thought was um, an interesting end up or wrap up to Iowa's defense. But then honorable mentions, we also have only two. So Dane Belton and Riley Moss. And it does feel like a number of guys are left off that list that I think should be um, getting some recognition. So I'll let you take it from there on, you know, which guys got snubbed, which guys are too high and which guys are too low. Well, first snub to me, we've talked about him a lot is Jack Heflin. Yeah. And how instrumental he was for this defense. And the job he did, and it was highlighted in that Wisconsin game and Iowa's ability to shut down their run game. But what he meant to this defense this year to provide that body next to Davian Nixon and the level of his play all year was just fantastic. And he's he didn't run up huge numbers, but his numbers for an interior defense defensive lineman were pretty good. And he's the one that jumps off it and – I'm not saying anybody that's on there doesn't deserve to be on there, but, but he deserved to be on there. You know, yeah. his play was too good, too important to such a good defense and defensive line that it's, it's really unfortunate that he didn't get that recognition. Um, on the outside, I thought you might see Matt Hankins get at least honorable mention, um, but his numbers, you know, he's not, he doesn't have a lot of passes defended. His, I feel like sometimes at cornerback, they just kind of go through and be like, all right, what are the interception numbers? Okay, you had two, you had three. Um, so I was a little bit surprised, especially um, Phil Parker has talked about him several times and what he's meant to this defense and in his play uh, in the backfield. So those were the the two that, that stood out as far as guys who I thought might get mentioned. Um, you know, at linebacker, uh, Nick Neiman's play, was by the end of the year really good and i think uh he did make third team on one of them so it was good to see at least that but you know to transition you know davian nixon big 10 defensive player of the year um, if you told me that at the beginning of the year i wouldn't have been shocked just because i think we knew about his potential but i would have been surprised but after the first 10 minutes of the first game, it was clear uh, what type of player he was. And, you know, by the end of the year, he was facing double teams, chips, everything. And he was still, you know, playing 80, 90% of the snaps, getting after guys, making plays, uh, deserving of that award. Um, he's just been fantastic all year long. And it was really cool to see Chauncey Golston get on that first team as well. A guy who has been a contributor for several years. We talked early in the season about him getting to spots, just not finishing. And man, at the end of the year, he was a <laughs> finisher. I mean, he was violent. You know, we think of that, that ending play against Nebraska. He had a big sack going to get going up against, you know, they moved him. All of a sudden Phil Parker switches him to the other side and he goes up against Wisconsin's best lineman. A, a guy who's could be a, you know, first, second, third round pick in the NFL draft and just destroys him. So, you know, his play and just what he's meant for a couple of years in the run game, but to see him get to the quarterback this year was, was special. Um, and, you know, Van Valkenburg 
if you would have told me he was going to be second team all conference <laughs> at the beginning of the year, uh, the, never in my wildest dreams <laughs> would I have imagined. But his play deserved it. You know, he played at that level. And it wasn't just the incredible number of number of fumble recoveries. It wasn't just a nice collection of sacks. He just played at a really high level, maintained run responsibilities, got to the quarterback, um, was in the right space at the right time, and, and played at a really high level. So that was really great to see. And the last one I'll mention is, if we get a full healthy season out of Jack Campbell, yeah, that that dude's name is is getting on these lists in the future, because once again, he shows out and you know, he just makes wild plays. And Seth Benson was fantastic. So I mean, this defense deserves all those players, really everybody who started on defense, you deserve your name on honorable mention because the, the defense was just that special this year. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off Jack Campbell talk because I'm going to predict it right now. If his usage is the exact same, he's healthy the entire next year, and we do get a full slate of games, he's going to be first team all Big Ten. He's just so explosive his usage is so creative and he's in the backfield penetrating so often that it's going to lead to turnover just because of how lengthy and how violent he is at attacking the ball and I just know like you put him up in a read option situation he's going to have some of these plays where he just kind of tackles both of the <laughs> the quarterback and running back I guarantee that's going to happen he's just so big and he really just like wraps guys up and and almost like eclipses them with his size and his length. So I'm really excited about him in the future. Um, but yeah, you said it. as far as snubs go, Jack Heflin, you know, nose tackles just don't get love, whether it's in the NFL draft, the NFL, um, college football. And the unfortunate thing is, you know, you peg a guy as a position, say nose tackle, and it's not a fun position and nobody's going crazy over nose tackle play because it doesn't scream getting after the passer. It screams stopping the run and not moving and not being moved. And, but the, here's the thing, like Jack Heflin lined up a lot at three tech this year too. And he showed a lot of pass rushing ability. And, you know, like we were talking about earlier with Chauncey Golston sort of getting there and not finishing, you know, Jack Heflin was collapsing the pocket quite a bit. And the reason these linebackers like Nick Neiman were getting so many tackle numbers is because the quarterback would squirt out and then, you know, they would get cleaned up. And the reason they got they had to score it out of the pocket was because Jack Heflin was crashing it. And honestly, you know, it's crazy. Also, I'm going to even branch further, but Davion Nixon, him getting first team, when you really look at his usage and what it is at Iowa, is kind of remarkable because he was, it's not like every single play he was pinning his ears back and shooting lanes and trying to penetrate and get in the backfield. You know, a lot of his big numbers or the numbers people look at, like sacks and tackles for loss, came on those cleanup sacks. And who is the reason that he's getting cleanup sacks because of? Well, it's because of blitzes from linebackers. It's Chauncey Golston, and it's Jack Heflin and Zach Van Volkenberg. And you also said about Zach Van Volkenberg. You know, the, the stats are definitely there, and they're crazy, and they'll, that'll never happen again, that stat line probably in his entire career, college, or NFL if he gets there. But snap for snap, he was showing to be a really great athlete. He was winning one-on-one -on -one matchups, and he was that extra guy that they would never shade pass protection his way, and that benefited him so much and this Iowa defense because he was winning. You know, he has some serious ability, and he's a guy that, you know, moving forward is one of the guys on Iowa's defensive line, especially when Chauncey Golston leaves after this year. Yeah, I mean, it, it very well could be that he's the only returning starter on that line. Yeah. And But you start as an anchor point of, all right, we know we have a guy here. That's a good football player. And I'm going to go back to what you said about Nixon. I mean, they were dropping him as a quarterback spy and dropping him in zone blitzes. So that's another spot where he's, you know, not necessarily picking up statistics, but he's making an impact for this defense. You know, and and just the disruption that he could cause or, or the way the offense had to plan against him. Um, just such an impactful player. And all four of those defensive linemen had such a good season. And as you highlighted, they aren't just sitting there pinning their ears back to get after the quarterback. You know, and we, 
you could say the same thing last year about AJ Epinesa. You know, what could his numbers look like if you just said, hey, get after the quarterback every play? And and that's not how Phil Parker coaches that defense. And his resume says that he shouldn't change the way he's teaching those guys to coach because it's effective. It works. Uh, but just that whole defense and how they came together as the season came on. And they missed, you know, they lost so many talented players off of last year. So the way they improved, the way they came together, and just how good they were, um, I didn't see that coming. And I think I might have even said it in our preview. I'm not going to doubt Phil Parker. I trust him. But once again, plug a piece here, plug a piece here. Uh, and next thing you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's another top 10 nationally defense. Just incredible. Yeah, honestly, I this defense has outperformed every single expectation that I had personally coming into this year. I didn't know who was going to be starting at the end of that DN spot that AJ Epinesa left void. And Zach Van Volkenberg not only filled that spot as a guy who could pick up, you know, the bulk of snaps, but excel. And I just didn't see that coming when I, I wrote a, a defensive line preview coming into the year. And I noted that Zach Van Volkenberg was the twitchiest and the most, you know, fluid looking athlete of, you know, the Joe uh, Evans group and the John Wagoner group. But I no idea that that was coming from him. And then you look at linebacker, this team on paper coming into the year looked like it, it just seemed like they were going to get gashed on, you know, just tight end hook routes and seam routes and runs up the middle that weren't getting stopped by Jack Heflin. And we hadn't really seen Davion Nixon take control in, in the run game, you know, the previous year because of limited snaps and sort of the, I guess, the committee of defensive tackles they had last year. But there were so many questions, and it just didn't feel like this was going to be a good unit. And it almost felt like the offense was going to have to, you know, bail out the defense. That's kind of how it felt. And, man, down the stretch, it just proved to be the exact opposite. I mean, obviously the Iowa's offense, you know, they put up points, but a lot of the close games and a lot of the games that needed a pivotal moment or a pivotal turn, the defense was the one that was creating the spark. And, you know, obviously, obviously I want to say um, Riley Moss had a hell of a year. And I'm, I, I don't want to say that it's unfortunate that he didn't make, you know, one of the, uh, one of the top three big 10 teams, because he looked, he was the best corner Iowa had this year. He was the best defensive back Iowa had this year. And arguably one of the better playmakers on the entire team. And it just seemed like he was always making plays on the ball. And the plays that he gave up, he was in good position and just kind of missed out barely. When you play defensive back, especially corner, uh, there are going to be plays where you're there and the offense just makes the play. Mm -hmm. Or there's going to be plays where, where you're covering one guy and then within the zone maybe you have to pick up a switch somewhere and you're going to maybe give something up but his play and his tackling ability um on the perimeter and his he'd come up and fill runs uh you know and then just his ball skill you know if the ball is in his area and he's got a chance to get his hands on it with his size and his frame he was get the ball and then go make a play he was um you know, somebody who came in, again, a spot we don't know really who's going to start next to Matt Hankins. Is it going to be Moss? Is it going to be Brents? Is it going to be, you know, does something else happen? And he came in and he took that position and held it and played really, really well. And it's a guy you look forward to as saying, okay, this is a guy you can pencil in as an all-conference player next year because that's the level that he's playing at. And it's abil his ability to coverage and coverage. It's his ability to read the offense and, and read what play and what concepts are going and his ability to come in and be a physical run defender as well. And I, I could see them next year opening up some extra things from him. You know, you've mentioned before how effective he could be in a blitz package. And I'm going to tie that into Phil Parker has unleashed the blitz <laughs> packages this year. Yes, he has. And I don't know if it's just a change in philosophy or a change in uh, maybe saying, well, this is our personnel. You know, you, ha you know, you have somebody like Jack Campbell. That's a guy who could play defensive end just based on his body size and his athletic ability. So getting him and, and Seth Benson is another guy who just has such a knack for making the right moves and right reads on those blitzes and getting to those gaps. And this is a totally unfair comparison for him. But the way he navigates traffic on those blitzes 
is similar to what Josie Jewell did. Now, I'm not making that comparison because Josie Jewell, one of the best linebackers to ever play at Iowa. Uh, so I don't, it's not fair to make that comparison. He's not that. But you see a lot of that, the way he, on those blitzes, the way he times them, you know, the way he fits those gaps, the way he makes the play, uh, you know, he, he's going to be a staple on that interior. You know, he, he proved it and he was great. So those are guys that you see younger players coming in um, that were, we just didn't know anything about and to watch their development and watch them make plays and not just be, okay, that's a nice player, but to make some splash plays and say, Oh, like I see it. That's a wow moment. You know, and stylistically, yeah, you can't compare him to Josie Jewell because Josie Jewell from a cerebral, just mental standpoint was so far ahead of everyone. I mean, there were some plays where he would take an angle and it's just like, how did you even end up there? How do you even have a clue that that was going to be the, the case? I mean, the, one of the big ones with him was his last year at Iowa. And it was a, a first and goal situation from the four yard line against Rutgers. And he made four straight tackles and he was the guy there and they ran three misdirection plays out of those four. And he was still, whether he came from the far side or the middle or the near side, or, or play side, wherever you want to call it, he was just making plays that just made you go, what? I, I even, I'm, I'm watching this on a replay in slow motion. I don't even know where the ball's at. How do you? And so stylistically, you can't compare, compare him to Josie Jewell, but I would say he's probably a better athlete than Josie Jewell for sure. And he also has an element to his game that Josie Jewell never had where he can attack, you know, fullbacks a lot better maybe not aggressively and as, as with that kind of motor that Josie had, but from a length and strength standpoint, he's more well-equipped, I would say, um, just to do that. And also, you know, he, if he keeps putting these pieces together and he really takes control of that spot, he's similar more to Chad Greenway than Josie Jewell. And, you know, everybody likes to compare the Josie Jewell and Chad Greenway for which Iowa linebacker is the best in history. That's always a discussion. But stylistically, they're, they're so far apart, and you can't really make that comparison, especially with the different eras and different responsibilities that come with that position. But, yeah, Jack Campbell in the future has a very, very high ceiling, and I don't want to give him too much hype, but, I mean, yeah, you're, you're talking about a guy just with his, you know, athleticism and potential production in the future could be eventually a first-round pick. Yeah, and it, earlier in the year, when he was coming back, you had mentioned, well, who do you compare him to? And my, my comp was Patty Fisher, first team, all big 10 again, but his ceilings higher. Patty Fisher is a great player for Northwestern cerebral length, but Jack Campbell has a higher ceiling. I mean, his explosiveness is off the charts and he'll figure out exactly how to play someday. I mean, he'll figure some of those details out, uh, but it's just unbelievable to watch him um, navigate and to watch him, you know, make some of those plays where he knifes through or, or there was a play where, you know, they try to dump one off and he's six yards behind it and they dump one off to a slot receiver underneath and he comes up and just explodes on the guy uh, and force makes it ends up bobbling goes incomplete. And those are the plays that it, it just, he jumps off. And you put him next to Seth Benson inside, and those two form a really nice tandem on the interior of Iowa's linebacker core. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, you think, well, they lost all these guys last year, and now it's just like, well, linebacker looks good. Yeah. And Justin Jacobs, you know, we didn't get to see him much after the first two games, but he showed a lot of flashes, and he's a very young player. So maybe in a similar vein that, you know, Seth Benson surprised us and Jack Campbell surprised us and even Zach Van Volkenberg surprised us. Maybe next year we're talking about how Justin Jacobs and all three of those guys are just lighting it up and holding this defense together after they lost or potentially lose a lot of pass rushing weapons too. That Those linebackers and in, in the blitzes that Phil Parker brought them on, that's going to give them some freedom down the road if they stick to this, that if you don't have a staple pass rusher or, you know, an absolute disruptor on the inside that you can manufacture some pressure in other ways 
and let those cornerbacks and defensive backs make plays in the backfield. And just lastly with that, uh, Jack Kerner making it and just, it was fun to watch him in this Wisconsin game with his physicality coming in to try to help finish plays. And uh, he just continued to make steps. You know, he steps in, uh, Kayvon Merriweather last year, right at the beginning of the season gets hurt. Kerner steps in uh, and doesn't relinquish the spot. And he just gets better and better. And he's the one on that back end, putting those pieces together, making sure everybody's aligned correctly. So another really cool one to see him get, get noticed uh, and get that recognition. And next to him, Kayvon Merriweather, he's the next one. Like, all right, that dude's making plays back there too. Mm -hmm. You see that length and his flash on the, on the backside. And as he just continues to progress, and he mentioned how important the film room was for him last year, you know, after losing that spot and after having that injury, you know, he's another one that you're just going to say, okay, pencil him in. He's going to be making plays for the next couple of years as well. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, Kayvon Merriweather has shown enough where it's like, this is a different kind of look at safety, almost, almost more Imani Hooker-ish, um, just a guy that can really fly in um, and I think has the athleticism to stay on the back end and make some plays there too. So I think, you know, just looking at all across the board for this Iowa defense, yeah, they're losing a lot of really great players, potentially more than we even think right now. But the future does still look bright when you compare it to, you know, what it looked like coming into the year. So that's obviously really great to talk about, especially at the end of the season. You know, there's a lot of opt optimism floating around this Iowa football group and the guys returning. And, you know, that, that's all you can really ask for when the season comes to the wrap. Um, but, you know, let's talk about Wisconsin <laughs> because, you know, that was the big hurdle that Iowa finally got over and they killed them. It, it was never close. Um, Graham Mertz looked uncomfortable all day. He didn't look like he was there yet for sure. And Iowa's defense played a big part in that. Um, obviously, Iowa's run, um, you know, Wisconsin had a running back out. The guy from New Jersey, the freshman, who has been sort of their lead back all year, he was a last second scratch, I believe, and just didn't play. And the run game looked very, very non-Wisconsin-like. So what, are we, what were some of your takeaways, you know, re-watching this game and when you were watching it live? Partway through the game, you know, they – Wisconsin was not able to do anything with their gap scheme. I mean, the front line was just stalled. Iowa's front four and those linebackers at the point of attack just stood up those guys. And the only decent carry they had was, was uh, either an end around or some sort of play to, to DK. And that was it. You know, they were able to generate nothing and they tried all sorts of things. They tried, you know, kind of some misdirection, give it to a fullback. They tried uh, a sort of wildcat with Groshek. They tried everything, and it just didn't work. And they tried their perimeter run game. And I think back to, what, four or five years ago when Iowa could not stop the perimeter run game against Wisconsin. I remember that year it was Wisconsin, Minnesota, maybe Penn State. There were like four or five teams. That it was jet sweeps. It was pitches, sweep, anything onto the perimeter. Iowa was just not able to stop. And Iowa absolutely destroyed all of those carries for Wisconsin. I mean, it wasn't just like stopping them at the line of scrimmage or stopping them from two-yard gains. These are three four-yard losses and moving, that, moving them backwards or forcing a hold. And the front four was the dominant force in this game. And it's been a while since in an Iowa-Wisconsin game that Iowa's front four on defense dominated the game. And that's exactly what it was. They dominated Wisconsin in the run game. They dominated Wisconsin in the pass game by getting pressure on Mertz. And they just totally controlled that game. And, you know, Wisconsin, yeah, they're missing the running back. They had a couple uh, receivers that were, were out. We knew Davis obviously was going to be. Uh, Pryor ended up not playing as well. So, yeah, they were missing some weapons. But, it, look, it wasn't going to matter. There was nowhere to go. And on those passes uh, – the coverage was there or he was facing pressure and getting hit and picking himself up on the off the ground and Wisconsin's offensive line had played really well this year and Iowa totally neutralized them and that was the big thing that stood out for me was that front four 
and how well they played. And then that just opened it up for the linebackers. Phil Parker started smelling blood. He's sending blitzers. And, you know, by the end, it was just outside of, you know, they had one touchdown and that was, you know, off of a muff punt on a short field. And yeah, they got near the end end zone again once, you know, again on a, a goofy play where they're, they're given field position, but they never generated any sort of drive. Yeah. I, I saw some Wisconsin fans tweeting at the end of the game um, because Wisconsin's main football account tweeted out drive of the game. And it was like three plays for 10 yards. <laughs> I was like, that, that about sums it up. Yeah. I mean, and you said it, I was front four dominated and this isn't the first time, you know, this is, it's been a long time since I was defensive line or front four dominated a Wisconsin Iowa game, but it's the first time in a little bit that Iowa's front four has even served a positive impact in any kind of way. Because usually in the, the past recent mass matchups, it's been bully ball for Wisconsin. They've moved Iowa defenders just out like butter. And you have, you know, guys going east west, opening up the, the running lane that they want to open up. They have a fullback killing a linebacker. And it just feels like a massacre up front. And I was just holding on for dear life, hoping that they can just luck into a big play or, you know, bend, don't break kind of thing and just get on Wisconsin down to the red zone and kind of hold tight there. But they really dominated this game. And Jack Heflin should have been all Big Ten just because of this game alone. If this was the only game he played all year, yeah, throw him in there. Because, again, those tackles just really aren't appreciated and he made so many great plays that he didn't receive a stat for in this game, but just so many plays that, you know, he was really the reason that play got shut down. And Chauncey Golston had a hell of a game too. And Nick Neiman had a hell of a game. And this defense just cohesively up, up front from the linebacker spot to defensive line all year has been really great and cohesive and just working off one another. But this game is sort of the epitome of that. And, that's how you beat Wisconsin. I mean, seriously, I, I made a video series this year um, in the preseason called Why Can't Iowa Beat Wisconsin? And every single point I made in that video about what Iowa was doing wrong, they did right in this game, and they took it to a whole nother level. I mean, even Iowa's offensive line for a while, they just couldn't run on Wisconsin, and that was a big thing. Well, now this Iowa offensive line is really well equipped to do that, and they dominated up front. And, and obviously Tyler Goodson had a nice little end run cap to the, the, his game uh, for a big touchdown. And that was the first touchdown I believe Wisconsin had allowed all year on the ground, which obviously they only played five games, but that's still saying something. And everything just went right for Iowa. Nothing could go wrong. You know, we saw the first deep balls completed this year. We saw misdirection. We saw really just everything that has made this season so fun to watch outside of the first two games. And it's a really great wrap and a really great bow to what was a really weird year. And it's nice to see all the trophies back in Iowa city. Yeah. When I, when I'm going to remember this game, you know, down the road, there's going to be a few plays, obviously the, the deep ball to Amir and his touchdown and his flip. I'm going to remember that run by Tyler Goodson. I'm going to remember a, third and short where they don't block Chauncey Golson. And he comes in there and just grabs a running back. There might've even been Groshek, just grabs him and just like suplex straight to the ground, pulls him backwards. And just like that physicality and their ability to just dominate physically. And that does not happen against Wisconsin, you know, whether it's Iowa over the past, really anybody. Um, And they totally dominated physically those sort of plays or Golson getting after and just slamming Mertz to the ground or the fourth down play where Campbell hits that seam and just absolutely blows up the fourth down conversion. And I knew this, there's kind of two big things from this game that I remember. One is when Keith Duncan's kick hits the upright and falls through. It's like, okay, this might be Iowa's day. But the other one was, I think it was still, um, it was a one score game. I'm pretty sure. And Wisconsin has the ball. They're, they're in their own territory, but not by a lot. And they have a fourth and one and immediately punk crew comes out. 
right away. And that is not in the past. They don't punt it there. Hey, we're down. We need a first down. We're going to run it. We're going to get it. And Paul Chris had no faith in their ability to pick up one yard. And at that moment, I said, okay, this is a different Iowa-Wisconsin game than there's been over the last few years. And that was the point really in this game. Those were two things I remember being like, all right, I think it might be Iowa's day. And then when they don't try to go for it and they say, look, I don't think we can pick up one yard. All right. Uh, Iowa's won this from a mental standpoint too of Wisconsin just doesn't think they can handle that defensive front. Yeah. And you saw Wisconsin's offensive line, just their faces. They were really tired at the end of this game and probably really cold because it was a freezing day in Iowa city. And yeah, it just felt like the confidence got sucked out of Wisconsin when they realized that they just couldn't move the ball no matter what. I mean, receivers were dropping balls. Graham Mertz was nosediving throws and sailing throws and just off on throws. Iowa's defense was picking up turnovers, and there was really just no way or no vision of how Wisconsin was going to successfully move this ball. And you mentioned these end arounds and the misdirection plays. Even they weren't working, and when they did – it felt like, oh, okay, well, Wisconsin's maybe starting to find a spark, and then immediately the next play, a Chauncey Golston massive sack or, or something crazy or a big splash play for Iowa would happen. And it just felt like, okay, well, now Iowa, Wisconsin's battling from second and 12 or second and 14 again. And, and they ne- never had a rhythm in this game, and that's because, like we just talked about, Iowa's defensive line in the front four just really just dominated this game and took it over. Wisconsin fans had to feel how Iowa fans have had to feel for the last several years when playing against Wisconsin. We can't run the ball. We don't have time to throw. There's blitzers coming free, you know, in the worst moments. Uh, What do we do? We can't do anything. And Iowa fans in, in turn felt like, hey, we're getting after the quarterback. We're not running the ball with a ton of effectiveness, running it fine, but, you know, not doing a lot. But we're going to break one at some point. And that's what Wisconsin has done every year as of late to Iowa. And it totally reversed this year. Iowa controlled all of those moments, made all of the big plays, whether it was a deep pass, whether it was Tyler Goodson's run, you know, all of those big plays went to Iowa's way. And even when Iowa made a mistake on the muff punt or on the dropped punt uh, and then kick from the ground, which, you know, <laughs> whatever i mean iowa won so we can laugh and and play but that's still an incredible kick and after everything (laughs) he's done like total free pass for tory taylor this year go do whatever you want like i don't care (laughs) um but but just all those things that have hurt iowa and that wisconsin has done to beat iowa it totally flipped this year and all i can say is it's about time you know iowa needed that win they filled the trophy cases we get the graphic of of kirk you know, in front of the the screen and the PS5 there and the trophies are there uh, on for NCAA football 21. Bring it back, by the way. We we need that in our lives. Um, But just all those reversed and and Iowa football right now is on such an uptick. And it's just great to see, you know, unfortunately we don't get the game against Michigan, but great to see them finish the regular season out like this and to get eight consecutive games in and not have there was zero reports of Iowa players. Okay, you're a late scratch from COVID, and, and a huge credit to the players, the coaches, the support staff for what they did all year, taking a tumultuous summer, having a, a tough start to the year, going 0 2, and having penalties and turnovers cost them two games, and to turn that into six straight dominant performances hey, we're living pretty good right now. We're fortunate to get to see that season and fortunate to get to watch uh, the growth that occurred on offense and defense. Yeah, and it, like you said, you know, it, it really did feel like Iowa and Wisconsin flipped sides in this game this year. And honestly, when you go back even to the blowout in 2017 or the, loss in 20, the close loss in 2018 or even last year's loss in 2019, those teams felt like they were on an even playing field as far as just overall talent on the roster is concerned. But where that talent was played a massive factor. And a lot of that for Iowa was on the back end on defense or the tight end spot. 
But this year, we talked about it heading in in our preview last week. The talent was all in the right areas because it was that linebacker and then inside a defensive tackle, which really hasn't been Iowa's like an overwhelming strength for Iowa in a long time. And it just felt like this defensive line was the most equipped defensive line to handle Wisconsin, you know, compared to any Kirk Ferentz team of, you know, since he started or came on at Iowa. So it was great to see that pay off. And, you know, like you said, it, it just feels like they finally got over the hump and it's a great wrap to the regular season. And it really just feels like the ultimate payoff, you know, not only did Iowa beat Wisconsin, they beat them in a way that it's not controversial. They know, we know who the better team is this year in, in 2020 and that's Iowa football. And now you're going to every hell off season they're the what if game is going to get played where, you know, what if Iowa gets over the hump against Northwestern and Purdue and what if, you know, they go to the Big Ten Championship and play Ohio State? And I, I, I'm going to be, I've already been playing it. You know, it's something that, to be honest, like this Iowa team, I've been saying it since, you know, week four. This is the best Iowa team since 2015, 2016. And I said it last week, this Iowa team is better than that team. And I still stand by that. And it's just really unfortunate that there, it's happening in a year, which is shortened games. You know, the Big Ten championship game is not an option for Iowa. And a New York Six Bowl is looking very difficult right now. So, you know, that's kind of where I stand. It's, it's, it's bittersweet, definitely bittersweet. I'm going to go on my short CFP rant. To have Iowa at 16th is a joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, this team is so much better than a 16 ranking. And you can say, well, who have they be, you know, they lost to Purdue. This, they had the, this is not the same team it was with their two losses. And it's not that, oh, you know, they just beat Wisconsin. They, you know, beat Nebraska. It's not just they beat these. They destroyed these teams in so many areas. And it's just to, to think that they're 16th. Like, I don't see anybody else, from, you know, that's outside those top couple that I want to play right now and be like, yeah, I don't, I don't like their chances. Mm-hmm. you know yeah you're you're Clemson you're Alabama those teams are are playing at a different level um and whatever but this team is much better than their 16 ranking in that and for them not to move up at all after what they did to Wisconsin and people saying well Wisconsin they have a losing record they lost to a two-loss Iowa team they lost to a you know to Northwestern got the one loss and they lost to indiana like those are their losses so yeah they do have three losses to three pretty good teams and yeah they're not the wisconsin they've been the last couple years they don't have some of those uh high performance players but that's still a good team and iowa still destroyed those other teams so to put them at 16 to not move them um if you're watching those games you cannot convince me that there are 15 teams that are better than them right now and i guarantee you if you were to play iowa against some of those teams those teams would not want to see this iowa defense because they would know that they are in for a long 60 minute game of getting beat up and getting beat up by the defense and by this iowa offensive line yeah i mean obviously i think alabama and clemson are just in a different tier above everybody but yeah from three on down pick the team Iowa, Iowa could seriously beat them. Um, I think they could beat Ohio State this year, mind you. And I would, I would have loved to see that game played on because that was on the original schedule, right? Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to see that with a full year. Man, it, it just, it's, yeah, I'm, like I said, I'm playing the what if game already. I, just because this Iowa team was so special and it felt like all the stars aligned. I mean, how do you end up with that much talent? on the defensive line and offensive line in the same year. You know, we're potentially looking at six NFL guys from the offensive line. (laughs) And we're potentially looking at four NFL guys on the defensive line. Looking back on that, you know, in five years and just seeing who's on the NFL rosters, I think is going to be really funny just to look back on it. It's almost like, you know, did did TJ Hawkinson, George Kittle and Noah Fant play together at any point, even when, 
maybe Hawkinson was like a redshirt freshman or true freshman? I, I think all of those guys were, and I'm pretty sure there was maybe an article, if it was, might have been St- Scott Dockerman that wrote one, that all of those guys were in the tight end room at the same time. And there was somebody else that was in there that was a player at the same time. Um, but all of those guys are in that, that tight end room at once. And it's when you look back, you're like, oh, like, yeah, that's a pretty good group. <laughs> Three of the top 10 tight ends in the NFL, all, all in one little tight end group. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, that's the thing. Like, you know, in, in five years, we're going to be looking at seven, potentially, you know, nine or ten uh, NFL guys just in those two units. And that's insane. And I just don't see it ever happening again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could be looking back, you know, somebody going to say, somebody like Leonard Ball, well, that, there's the best center in, in the NFL. And, you know, sort of like how this year, we see in the NFL with what Tristan Wirfs is doing at right tackle in his first year. Like that's a guy who could be the best right tackle in the NFL. And you could look back and say, well, there's the best center. You know, we have, there's just pieces that you look like, well, there's a starter. There's a guy that could be make a pro bowl. There's a guy that's the best player in that division, you know, at that spot. And it's just really special to see that and to see them come together and just the physicality of this Iowa team all year uh, was just exactly what, as an Iowa fan, that you want to see. Yeah, and, you know, this was a fun season, and it, obviously it's still uncompleted. We'll see if Iowa plays another game, you know. At all, the, all the games, that even if they're scheduled, are uncertain at this point. And this week against Michigan, that schedule matchup is just kind of proof of that. You know, Michigan had 50 guys who couldn't play because either they had COVID or they were hurt. And um, that's just kind of the, the season that we're in. And it'll be interesting to see where Iowa kind of ends up in a bowl game, but you know, any ending thoughts and wrapping thoughts on just, you know, Iowa, this is kind of the regular season for Iowa coming to close. Just how fun it was to watch this team grow. And, and I know you can always play the what if game, but we did get to see Iowa play in eight big 10 games. And if you would have told me, you know, back in September that that was an option, uh, you know, I would have taken, I don't want to say I would, I would not have taken 0 and 8, but like I would have just taken getting to see football, but to see them and watch them dominate. And that's how you want to see, at least for me, that's how I want to see this Iowa football program. Like that dominant, that bullies of the big 10 up front on both sides. And that's what we saw from them this year. And it's fun to look forward at a bowl game matchup and watch them, you know, watch some team that isn't from the Big Ten all of a sudden have to face that physicality. It's fun to think forward to next year. Uh, obviously, we're coming off of, at least while we're, we're taping this signing day and the excitement yep. of new players down the road. So just a lot of excitement within the Iowa football program, within that facility, having those four trophies, you know, line them up, enjoy it. Uh, I'm just really happy we got to see that and we got to see growth um, from really every position and just having Iowa football back was great. It was great to have it back in my life. Cause I can tell you what in, in that beginning of fall, I, sh- I was missing it a lot. Yeah. And honestly, I, I love how Iowa came out and sort of reestablished their, their nationally recognized sort of brand or identity. And you said it bullies of the big 10, in past years, it's been sort of like we have individually talented players on defensive line, offensive line, who are very, very good and cohesively, you know, it's, it's not a, the best defense or the best offensive line in the Big Ten. This year, it just felt like the entire defensive line was the best defensive line as a unit in the Big Ten, and the offensive line was the best offensive line as a unit in the Big Ten, and they dominated it wasn't just like they were good or had a couple guys who were going to be first round draft picks. They all together were just dominating every single thing and every single, you know, play that they were designed to do. And it was really fun to watch because you don't get that often. And, you know, four players or five players, that's tough to find a good player at every single spot, every single year. So, you know, looking back, I think Iowa fans, probably underappreciated what the offensive line did, but probably not what the defensive line did because they were just the, the ones making the splash plays. But 
especially on offensive line. You know, I don't know when we're going to get another one like this. So, um, you know, but with that said, unless you have anything to get off your chest last, all right. Um, you know, it's been a fun regular season with the first season of the podcast. podcast. Hopefully we're going to be making some more videos um, as the season goes on, especially when um, Iowa gets a, the bowl game slot. And we'll probably be back next week just to talk about something. We can find something to talk about for sure. We're full of opinions. <laughs> We're Iowa football to the core. So, um, you know, maybe we'll bring on some, you know, player interviews in the future and just see where that goes. You know, who knows? We'll, we're always open to suggestions too. But as always, you can follow me at RobDFB on Twitter. And you can follow that at TNLS20 on Twitter. And, you know, keep checking our workout at blackheartgoldpants.com. You know, we're, we're posting a lot over there. And, you know, it's been a fun season, guys. So thank you for checking out the podcast once again and showing support throughout the year. And we will be back when we're back. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs>